I am George Anderson. I am Elizabeth Link. I am Ben Brannan. We are going on a journey through the Gospel of Mark with a sermon series titled, Reimagined. Together, we'll explore why the Gospel is in such a hurry for readers to get to know and keep up with Jesus. Today's sermon is a stop along the way of that journey. Join us as we reflect on what was, rethink what is, and reimagine what will be. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Though the passages of our sermon series have been arranged chronologically, we've skipped many stories. Tonight's presentation of Afraid, which presents the whole Gospel of Mark, will not only entertain, but it'll help place each passage in the context of the story. Our passage today might seem out of context, though, for a different reason. Our story, which speaks of betrayal, is one of a series of passages framed by the dark border of Jesus' impending death and is normally read during the season of Lent. However, this being All Saints Sunday and not Lent, I want to focus less on the dark border and more on something beautiful that's framed within. First, let's listen to the story and listen for the Word of God. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the festival or there may be a riot among the people. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman with an alabaster jar of some very costly ointment of nard She came and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was this ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. The word of the Lord. What is it that Jesus finds so appropriate so fitting, even so beautiful in the actions of the woman who anoints his head with oil pouring down over his body. I ask this question because later in the service we will do something that I think 
is similarly appropriate and fitting and beautiful. In a prayer after the sermon, we will speak aloud the names of church members and silently the names of people we loved who died this past year. To speak their names will be an acceptance of their deaths. But more than that, it's going to be something of an anointing. To this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus' closest companions have had a hard time accepting that Jesus will die, or more to the nail's point, that he will be killed. Three times Jesus has tried to talk to them about it, but they argued with him, or they changed the subject, or they missed the point in wanting to talk about who comes first in God's eyes. But this woman who anoints Jesus' head, she accepts what they cannot. Though Jesus' heart still beats and his lungs still breathes, she does what any loved one does in that day when a loved one dies. With oil, she prepares his body for burial. There might be other reasons for anointing someone with oil, but that's how Jesus sees what she is doing. Her acceptance of death comes early. You know, acceptance can be, in and of itself, beautiful. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross helped us understand that with her stages of grief. She spoke of acceptance as that last stage when the one who grieves moves past the shock and denial and anger and bargaining and finally comes to peace with the fact that the loved one is gone. In a way, if that acceptance comes, the one who has died is allowed to come back in to become more fully a part of the loved one's lives again because all that stuff of grief that was dominating their minds, the memory of last difficult days or the angst over guilt or regret, all that stuff goes away. And the good memories, the funny or moving memories, or memorable memories. They can come back, and appreciation and gratitude for having had them in your life can emerge again. And the one who was lost is, in a way, found again. Their stories move from those that are told at memorial services to the wonderful stories told at Thanksgiving gatherings. And I have seen this acceptance come even before death both with the dying and those who love them. I'm speaking of those times when death, so long treated as the enemy, becomes the friend in that it brings to an end a life where quality and dignity are no longer constant companions. I've been a part of conversations both in homes and hospital rooms where stories and laughter show that that they're not fighting for more time anymore, but they're embracing the good moments that they have left together. And sometimes there's even a note of celebration. And it can be very beautiful. What Jesus also saw as beautiful is the extravagance of the anointing. What is wasteful in the eyes of the scribes is wonderful in the eyes of Jesus, for he sees in what she is doing this act of service, of worship, of faith. I see her extravagance reflected in what is done in and around Christian funerals and memorial services. Now, I am not talking about the extravagance of financial expense, 
The commercialization of funerals where the grieving are manipulated into expenses as a way of uh, maybe removing their guilt or regret or proving the depth of their love or maybe to perpetuate myths about just how good the person was. I imagine most all of us have heard eulogies that have gone too long and worse, too far. No, I'm not speaking of funerals as propaganda. I'm speaking of the justifiable fuss made when a loved one has died, a fuss that's not sentimental or wasteful because there are sacred reasons for the expense and time required when family and friends come together to remember a life and to worship God. There are reasons for the lovely flower arrangements, for the beautiful music, for carefully crafted words of liturgy and reflection. It's the extravagance of hope. It's the extravagance of faith. When the woman breaks the alabaster jar and anoints Jesus' head, she's letting something out that she has to let out. She is doing something physical to express something personal. And sometimes we just have to do that because we are symbolic creatures. Theologically, it could be said that we are wired sacramentally. Sometimes we just have to show the world what's inside us. Now, we don't know exactly why the woman does what she does, but we do know that there are powerful reasons for her doing it. The Gospel of Luke has one suggestion. The Gospel of Luke tells this story or a similar story only earlier in Jesus' life. In Luke's telling, the woman is called a sinner. Well, is this the same woman? Well, if so, then maybe the reason for the woman's extravagance is overwhelming gratitude for Jesus accepting her, regardless of the wrong that she has done in life. But Mark's gospel doesn't call her a sinner. And by the way, people interpret these passages later. When a woman is called a sinner, they immediately assume something sexual which makes me a little queasy because males have a good habit of putting a backstory where women are the responsible for all sexual sins. Mark doesn't talk about that. Mark doesn't give any particular reason. So we can only imagine why she does this extravagant thing. Maybe in Mark's mind, Jesus had healed her or maybe he had helped her heal someone that she loved Maybe Jesus teaching or preaching opened for her a new way of seeing and living. Maybe his vision of a realm of justice and reconciliation inspired her. But whatever the particular reasons, we know at least this. Somehow, this woman found God in Jesus. And Mark places the story toward the end because he sees in her action an early acceptance of Jesus' death and an early celebration of what will be discovered at the end, that the tomb is empty and not even death can stop the life that we have with God. So yes, there is something especially beautiful about certain extravagances at memorial services as we make a fitting fuss in facing death while celebrating life and all the while worshiping God. And it is fitting that we make a particular fuss on this day, All Saints Sunday. 
In a minute, Elizabeth and I will offer a prayer for the saints in which we will perform maybe a liturgical act of anointing. We'll take time to speak the names of those we lost because, as Christians, we do accept death. Periodically, a bell note will be sounded three times as a musical anointing that commends the lives of those we love to God. And it'll also be a stark and clear sounding of the note of resurrection hope. We'll be a little extravagant. But it's a fuss that I always find beautiful. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.